All right, our scripture for the sermon today is from Isaiah 11. Let's turn with me in your Bibles to the 11th chapter of Isaiah. We will be looking at this morning verses 1 through 10. Isaiah writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Well, back in 2017, a show aired on the National Geographic Channel called The Story of Us, hosted by Morgan Freeman. Uh, And in, in the show, Freeman travels to different places and talks with different people to see both the diversity and the unity of the human race. So this past week I was, I was watching a clip that was promoting the series and, and the clip was interesting. It was this video crew that went to 22 different or asked people from 22 different countries a question. And the question was, is peace on earth possible? So some folks answered with simple yays or nays. But many gave more commentary with their answers. So one man from Seoul said, even though there are a lot of difficulties, it is possible. While a woman from Belgrade said, not likely, but we keep our fingers crossed. Some folks, in answer to the question, expressed deep doubt in the nature of of human nature itself. So a man from Amsterdam said, I am afraid peace is not possible It is in the nature of human beings to make war. And a woman from Bulgaria said, world peace is possible if people become extinct. One Slovenian woman, or a man, mentioned greed as the reason he doesn't think world peace can be possible. And then a woman in in London said, there are too many egos, too many people, and too many weapons for peace to exist. Interesting, right? It's a hard question, and, and someone to respond with optimism and hope, while others are more willing to face the reality that peace has never been fully realized in this world and most likely never will be. What do you think? Perhaps you might resonate with the honest answer of a man from Rome when he said, first help me make peace with my mom, then we'll think about peace on earth. 
It's a good point, isn't it? We lack peace in our own lives, and that consumes us with the wonder if we'll ever have peace. And sometimes that just crowds out any thought of peace globally. Well, church, we have been taking some time during this Advent season, the season anticipating the coming of Christ, both looking back to his first Advent 2,000 years ago and looking ahead to his next Advent in the future. And we've been looking through four prophecies in Isaiah about the coming Messiah, the King, the Christ. And this morning we come to a passage that speaks of Jesus's kingdom, the nature and character of the government he's going to bring to the world. And one of the most striking features of the reign of this king will be peace. Peace that covers the entire world. Is world peace possible? Yes. With Jesus, it is. So dear church, with our time together, let's see three truths in this text. So in Isaiah 9, last week, we saw kind of the coming of the king. Now we see more of what his kingdom will look like. And so for our three points, let's look at how Jesus, King Jesus brings righteousness. King Jesus brings righteousness. Second, King Jesus brings peace. King Jesus brings peace. And third, and finally then, King Jesus brings deliverance. King Jesus brings deliverance. So first, King Jesus brings righteousness. So a few years ago, uh, my family had someone come out and, and clean our roof on our house with soap. And this isn't hard facts, but this is kind of me playing Sherlock Holmes and putting two and two together. I suspect that the soap he used on the shingles trickled down through the downspout, leaked in and soaked our side yard, and promptly killed our crepe myrtle in the side lawn. It just kind of didn't look the same anymore. So I think it was dead. It was kind of a bummer. It was a beautiful tree. But a while later, I, I, so I just took the chainsaw and, and just kind of shaved it off at the bottom so that all that was left was a stump. I thought about asking my neighbor for his 4x4 four four to kind of just pull the roots out, but didn't get to it. But in the, in the months to follow, we just kind of neglected that stump we notice growth starting to emerge from what was the once leveled soap-slain tree. Now, it still doesn't look good. My plan is still to pull it up by its roots. But for now, the tree has made sort of a comeback. And the tree's hope is that I continue my sort of negligent ways with the lawn and continue to live for years to come. But, but this is the imagery that I think we all understand. This is the imagery that Isaiah 2,700 years ago, starts off our passage with there in verse 1. And it's striking, isn't it? He writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Who was Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David. David was the ruler of Israel, and during his reign, God promised him in a covenant that he would set up one of David's descendants forever as king. He said, your throne will live forever. It will never end. But here in verse 1, that just looks so, so yesterday. This is a sad picture because the line of David, the line of his father Jesse, is now just a felled tree. Someone has taken a chainsaw to it. It's a stump. The unbelief of kings, think back to, to Ahaz, 
in Isaiah 7, we looked at a few weeks ago, his unbelief, and then the future exile to Babylon. All these things will continue to show that the dynasty of David has fallen on bleak times. It's a stump. But in that darkness and discouragement, Isaiah here in Isaiah 11 says, still out of that line, a king will come. A branch will grow out of that stump. New life will spring from the roots of Jesse's tree. God will keep his promise. It's interesting that Isaiah calls this new king a shoot from Jesse, not David. See, the the Davidic kings were all seen as sons of David. But this one will be called a son of Jesse. Why? The point is that this new king who we know to be the Messiah, Jesus, will not be simply one of David's sons. One of the kings. He will be the son of Jesse, and that means he will be a new David altogether. This king is called here the shoot that comes from Jesse. And then later in verse 10, if you see there, he's called a rhyming word, the root from which Jesse comes. And that's pretty crazy, because he's both the product of Jesse's line and the person who originated Jesse's line. This king is Jesus. We don't have to surmise that. We are told that in the very, one of the very last verses in the entire Bible. In Revelation 22, when Jesus speaks and says, I, Jesus, am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Church, Jesus came at his first advent, his coming to earth that we celebrate at Christmas time to be the better David, the eternal king of God's people. And there in verse 2, we see that this king, Jesus, will be empowered by the very spirit of God. Verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So this Messiah will be spirit-filled. He will be the perfect king, unlike any others before him. And as we saw last month in the Gospel of Luke, this comes true, doesn't it? Jesus comes to earth, he's baptized, and what descends upon him? The very Spirit of God, who then guides him and fills him and propels his ministry. In verse 3, we see how this king will operate. He will take delight in the fear of the Lord. Indeed, the prominent feature we see in these first few verses about the reign of this king is righteousness. In verse 5, righteousness is called his belt. I think that symbolizes two different things. One, a belt is meant for support on a garment, right? Basically, the support of this king's rule will be righteousness, A belt also kind of shows preparedness for action, right? You want to put on a belt so that you're ready to get up and go. And I think this also symbolizes that Jesus is prepared to execute his rule in righteousness. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The Messiah, says Isaiah, is coming. The branch will grow out of the line of David, and it's going to be glorious. He will establish a reign over the entire world full of righteousness and peace. And church, the exciting thing is that we are in the middle of seeing this fulfilled. 
we're in the middle of seeing this text come to pass. So as we've mentioned before, Jesus' arrival, his advent, is going to come in two parts, or has come in one part and will come in another. So Jesus, as we'll see more clearly in Isaiah 53 next week, would come first as the king in humility to die for the sins of the world so he might save those who flee to him for forgiveness. And when he came 2,000 years ago to live and die and rise again, he inaugurated or began, he jump-started his kingdom. Even now, we see his kingdom having effects in the world. His gospel is going out. There are thousands upon thousands of people around the world who are coming to Jesus Christ for salvation. We see peace and righteousness beginning to form within his church, within our church, as our hearts are changed by this king. And as our character and our our nature is conformed to his righteousness, we see this. But there's still brokenness, isn't there? In fact, the world seems to be getting worse. And that's why Jesus is coming back. He's not done with Advent season. He will return at his second coming to complete the work that he's begun in his death and resurrection. To set up his kingdom forever, to judge with righteousness, and to save those who find refuge in him. And so as we read this passage, it seems kind of remote and distant to us. We see the nature of the kingdom Jesus has begun, and we see the promise of what it's going to finally be like. And the basic truth undergirding this kingdom in these opening verses is that it will be characterized by righteousness. Jesus will rule with equity and justice. He won't decide things based on sight and sound only, like every other human judge must decide things. He will know the end from the beginning. He will know the hearts of every living being. A pastor in Raleigh, Andy Davis, has written a commentary on Isaiah, and he says on this passage, Jesus judges perfectly, not relying on his five senses, but reading people's hearts by the standard of absolute truth. This is the nature of the reign of the King of Kings, begun and soon to be consummated at his return. Think about the goodness of that news, church. Unlike human rulers who are always tempted, whether they give in or not, to exploit power and to oppress the vulnerable, Jesus will rule with perfect justice. His authority will be all-encompassing and all-righteous, all-pure, all-good. There will be no Watergate in Jesus' administration. There will be no impeachment proceedings when Jesus rules. There will be no scandal in his reign. Don't you want a king like that? Don't you want to follow someone like that? Doesn't your heart yearn to submit to a leader like that? Someone you can trust? Someone you can worship? 
Jesus will never oppress unjustly. Jesus will never be underhanded in his dealings. Jesus will never unfairly twist things for unrighteous gain. You'll never need to suspect that king's motives. You'll never need to investigate that king's decisions. Don't you want a king like that? This world is not as it should be. But King Jesus has come and he's coming back. And he's going to bring perfect righteousness. Second, King Jesus will bring peace. Look with me at verse 6. This is a description of the peace Jesus will bring. And it's an amazing one. Isaiah says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Maybe it seems like a bit of a distant picture to us. But if we were farmers or ranchers, I think this would be striking. Because wolves eat lambs. That's one of the reasons they were shepherds, and they still are shepherds. Leopards do not make a practice of lying down with goat kids. Lions don't hang out with fattened calves unless those calves are fattening their stomachs, right? But here, the the predator and the prey fade away. There's unity, friendliness, peace. It's a striking picture of world peace, peace we can't even imagine now. See, when true righteousness reigns, our first point, right, that Jesus brings righteousness, when true righteousness reigns, peace becomes unavoidable. You think about Proverbs 29, where we read, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. Nowhere is that more true than in the reign of Jesus. Because when the most righteous king in the universe, Jesus himself, finally sets up his kingdom, that he's begun at his first advent that we celebrate at Christmas and will bring to conclusion at his second advent, all the people will rejoice. The earth will be at complete peace. The people will groan no more. That's the way to global peace. True, lasting peace will never come from political platforms. It will never come from movements or treaties or protests or boycotts or militaries or dictators or democracies. Peace cannot come this way because peace cannot even finally exist in our own hearts, let alone in the world. I mean, we want peace. We desperately want peace. But each one of us also wants control, don't we? And those two can never coexist. They can never live together in harmony. This great desire for control and this great desire for peace because no lasting peace will come until Jesus controls everything. The picture here in verses 6 through 9 echoes the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? 
creation is back in order. One commentator says it's, it's put back into joint. The king has come. The better Adam reigns. Indeed, this is even better than Eden. And why is this peace possible? Thinking back to that question from National Geographic, how is world peace possible? Verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. How is that possible? For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Church, peace will come to the world when the world knows God. When they bow to him as king. For those of us who are Christians here this morning, we have hope of this peace because this righteous king came first to die for our unrighteousness. See, a righteous king like we've just been looking at and feasting in is a wonderful thing. It's what we desire. But a righteous king condemns unrighteousness, which is our hallmark. A righteous king must condemn sinners like you and me. But, but Jesus came first to lay down his life, his righteous life, and take our sin on himself. Look, look at verse 4. It's describing Jesus' reign. It says, with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And then it says, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. But church, Jesus, the judge who will strike the earth and kill the wicked, first came to be judged, to be struck, and to be killed for the wicked. Friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, peace with God is available to you. A peace that can be yours now and for eternity. See, when we come to the Bible, we see what makes most sense of this world. The Bible makes the most sense of what we see around us. Because it says the reason this world is so screwed up, the reason there is war and famine and struggle and strife is because, unlike we really want to tell ourselves, we are not naturally good people. We have hearts set against God and his rule. We were made to submit to his glorious rule and we have rejected that design. That's why we struggle with each other for power and for control. Because fundamentally, our lives are characterized by struggling against God for his power and control. And that struggle against him just has damage, collateral damage to those around us. It's called sin, and it's deserving of God's judgment. But the wonderful news of the gospel is that into that power struggle, into that war of wills, God sent his son. And Jesus laid aside his throne and took on humility, the form of a servant, took our rebellion on himself and died for us, rising again to give us his righteousness so we can be included in his righteous kingdom, accepted by God. This is the good news of the gospel, and it's for you if you will repent and believe. And, and Christian brother and sister, as we read this passage on just, just 
ideal, idyllic peace. As we await the final consummation of the reign of our king, and we see this come to fruition, I wonder if you lack peace in your life this morning. So amidst the anxieties and restlessness of your life, are you, are you seeking for, longing for, some semblance of peace? Some way to get up in the morning and not instantly start to worry? In this passage, I think we see something very helpful about peace. And that is that, is that true peace only comes in submission to the king of peace. Peace comes when the king comes. But even now, as we wait for his second coming, we truly taste this peace in our lives. And we long for the day when it will no longer just be a taste, but it will be a full meal. When we will know it completely. But in the meantime, Christian, are you tasting the peace of Christ in your life? So as those who have faith in Christ, we know a peace that has been given to us. A peace that is not of us. That could never be earned by us. Jesus died to secure peace between us and God. And that will never go away. We weren't given it. And so we can't get rid of it. It's ours. But as you grow in that faith in Christ and in what he has done for you, have you begun to more experientially, daily, Taste it? Taste more of the peace given to you in Christ? Have you grown in sort of regular, daily, deep, abiding rest? In the midst of suffering, have you encountered just sort of maybe inexplicable comfort from your king? I think for all of us, that's a yes or no answer, right? A yes and no answer. Yes, we've experienced it, but boy, do we want more of it. So brother and sister, dear church family, pursue daily peace by consciously putting your life in the context of the kingdom of Christ. Remembering your life is ultimately lived for him and his reign. And actually, he's in charge of everything that happens to you. Now and forever. Remember, he has come to die for you and he's coming again. Rest in him. Take time to meditate on his power and glory and fill your mind with thoughts of his righteousness and justice. Base your peace not on your circumstances or your emotions or your health, but on the reign of your king. I wonder, is there a place in your life that you know you haven't submitted to the authority of the king? Maybe you're just fine serving his church week in and week out, and that's a wonderful thing. Maybe you're, you're willing to speak of Christ to unbelievers and be bold in that, and that is an obedient, wonderful thing, but you know there's a place deep down in your heart you have not yet submitted to his will. You don't trust him with. Friend, leave it in the hands of the only one who has perfect control and loves you perfectly. Abiding peace never comes with self-rule. 
Often, I think we can believe, and I'm the worst, that we can reach peace if we're able to run things our way. And that's a lie. Peace comes when Jesus gets his way. When Jesus rules. So are you submitting to your king? King Jesus brings righteousness. And King Jesus brings peace. Finally, King Jesus brings deliverance. Look in verse 10. There Isaiah says, In that day the root of Jesse, that's Jesus, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is a a picture of Jesus, the root of Jesse, standing as a, a banner a signal for the nations, kind of a rallying flag for the nations to come to him. And we we see this verse quoted in the New Testament as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans, written by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 15. It's always helpful when you're looking at Old Testament texts and they're quoted in the New Testament, isn't it? And here we get inspired commentary on Romans 15 or are on Isaiah 11, verse 10. So Paul is is writing about how the Gentiles will glorify God for his mercy. It won't just be for the Jewish people. And he says in verse 12 of Romans chapter 15, and again, Isaiah says, this is verse 10 of Isaiah 11, with a little bit of, of, you know, inspired different words. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. See, the root of Jesse is standing in righteousness and peace and in hope for deliverance of the world. This is the reason, church, that we spread the gospel. It's because this king has come not just for Israel, but for the world. You see how King Jesus is so much better than King David because his reign is global. What do you think of the word inclusiveness? It was right out in the lobby this morning. Inclusiveness is such a good word nowadays. It's a buzzword. Think about it, friend. What could be more inclusive than the kingdom of Jesus? His kingdom reaches to every nation, every people, every language, every gender, every background, every economic level. And it says, come, come, repent of your sin, trust in Jesus, submit to his kingship, and you will be saved. Come, leave behind your self-rule and live for the king. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. Come, repent, believe, and you are in. You're included. Because Jesus was excluded for you. Church, are we holding this king high in our lives? Is his message of deliverance on our tongues this Advent season? Because we're surrounded in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, 
with men and women and children who long for righteousness, long for peace, long for deliverance, and they don't know where in the world to find it. And we have the answer. We must speak. We must echo the song of the angels in Luke 2. In the, in the hymn we'll sing in a little bit, they're called herald angels. Think about what herald means. They're messengers coming with news. And we are herald Christians, aren't we? We also carry this same news. And we say to those around us, fear not, for behold, we bring you good news of great joy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people in, in Western Loudoun and around the world would hear, would sing, hark the herald Christians at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church sing. Listen. Listen to the message of the King. We are heralds, church. And we herald a message that's for the world. That's why we pray for different countries every Sunday. That's why Joe led us in prayer for Kazakhstan earlier. That's why we are in the midst of planning another missions trip to the Balkans in July. It's because our king reigns and he's coming back. And he is the one we are called to hold high in our lives. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. So back to that question from the National Geographic show. One last person who was interviewed in Paris answered the question, is world peace possible by saying, I get the feeling that as long as there are men, there will never be peace. He has a point. All men are sinful, but he's missing one man, isn't he? There was one man who came and never sinned never compromised righteousness, never went anywhere but to God his Father for peace. And that one man died and rose again. So now all men can know true, lasting peace. I wonder if that man in Paris knows about Jesus. I wonder if one of us could be the person who tells him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this Advent season. It's such a good time to reflect on your first coming and anticipate your second. But in the meantime, we confess that we often lack your peace. And often we can track that back to the fact that we just don't want to submit to your rule in our lives. We don't want to lift high your name. So forgive us, we repent. And we look at this passage with renewed vigor because we know the battle we face is in a war that's already been won. And we know that this text from Isaiah is true and is reality that is coming to this world. So would you help us? Spirit of God, you now indwell us as you indwelled the Messiah, Jesus himself. So would you empower us to proclaim the glories of our King until he comes back. Lord, we pray for those in Percival, 
Round Hill, Bluemont, Hamilton, Leesburg, Charlestown, the places we come from, who are coming into this Christmas season hopeless. Lord, may you use us to speak words of eternal hope to those around us. Come quickly, our King. Amen.